0: Hello, public art fans, and welcome to Get Art Done. I'm your host, Jesse A. Cup, and this week I'll be talking to Brandon Biggs. We discuss cross-sensory art, his work mapping the Magical Bridge playground in Palo Alto, and how you can make your artwork more inclusive to people of all abilities. So without further ado, let's get started.
1: Yeah, sure. I am an engineer from the smith Eye Research Institute. I am also the chief financial officer at Sony Biggs Educational Services Incorporated and now a PhD student at Georgia Institute of Technology. So I'm quite busy.
0: Awesome. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Great. I talked to you in the past about your involvement with the... Um, magical bridge playground in palo alto by the mitchell park library and uh, i'm just curious as to how you got involved in that
1: yeah so magical bridge has a mission to be the most inclusive playground on earth and as part of this mission they uh wanted to make their experience a lot more accessible for blind and visually impaired visitors to the playground, whether that's a blind or visually impaired child or a parent or a grandparent or somebody who's coming into the playground with visual impairments. So that was the impetus for bringing me on. And I met the founder, uh, at a, um, uh, I went on a tour of, of the playground and, and met her there and um, she uh, we started talking and, and I told her about my work on cross sensory maps as part of my master's program. And she asked if I wanted to build a map there. Uh, and I said, yeah, absolutely. And so that basically became my master's project. And I built uh, and am still building uh, in the process of, of making a cast, uh, iron, uh, bronze sculpture of this scope, um, of the map of the playground. So it's going to be, uh, what I call cross sensory. So you can access the information in three modalities, visually, auditorily, and tactilely. And so the visual modality is going to be, uh, there's going to be like a, Visual map that you can see um, digitally, and then there's also going to be the 3D model that you'll be able to see um, visually as well. Tactilely, there's going to be a 3D model of the playground. It's basically a miniature, uh, I think it's like a thousand to one miniature or something like that, uh, of the playground. So you can feel each object in the playground. You can feel the elevations in the playground, and uh, when you you have a little stylus and you can touch each object and it'll tell you the name and tell you what you can do in that object. And, uh, so that'll be using an, um, uh, computer vision, um, application will be above the bronze map. And then digitally, there'll be an auditory and visual, uh, version. And they actually have the auditory version up on their blog already. Uh, you can go see it and hear it, I should say. And, uh, that is a auditory experience and allows you to kind of navigate around the playground as a little avatar in auditory virtual reality. So uh, yeah, so th- those, those are the three different modalities that we've created for this and the bronze uh, should be out very soon. So that's really cool. There's some things I didn't know about it, um, mm-hmm. about your project that you
0: just revealed there. So like, I like the fact that it's in bronze a lot because that's, That's such an uh, extremely durable um, material to use for for our work. It's going to last a long, long time and and hopefully stay in good condition. So is this um, designed to stay outdoors and, and, you know, handle the weather?
1: Yeah, it's going to be in front of the playground. So if you come in from Mitchell Park, it'll be one of the first things that you will encounter as you uh, before you even get into the playground uh, proper. And so it's uh, right now there's a bunch of garbage cans there, but they're going to take those garbage cans and put them somewhere else and put the map there so that it's going to be one of the first things that you encounter. And there's going to be a nice little umbrella over the top of it. So um, if it's super sunny, uh, then you'll be a little bit in shade and it'll also keep the lighting a little bit steady for the camera as well. Uh, So it'll be something that you should be able to stand there for quite a while and just kind of, you know, be with the, the map and kind of internalize it. Cause it's, there's a lot going on there and, um, and there's a lot of uh, details in, in the bronze that, that, uh, you know, you, you, could, you could be feeling it for a long time and still uh, learn interesting things about the playground.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely a person who, um, you know, loves to feel the artwork that, that I'm, uh, experiencing, I'd look at it too, and I could spend a long time looking at a painting or a sculpture. But you know, if it's allowed, if the artist is okay with it, then I love to get my hands on it and and really get into that tactile sensation. Um, and it seems to be a little unique to me among amongst my other art friends. But um, it's one thing I think is really cool about this project is it's not just for visually impaired people, right? It's it's something that brings an added dimension of the artwork um, to everyone who wants to experience it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the whole point. We're going to open up people uh, from being so visual focused and, and let them experience the uh, you know um, other uh, what is it eighty percent of their body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You think about like the tons of nerve endings there and the touch. You've got touch five really senses.
1: Goes. Vision, yep. one of them.
0: Yep. Yep. And you got, you know, you can feel uh, temperature and all kinds of other things, pressure with your, your skin. So it's cool to get all that information. And I've been to the Magical Bridge playground. And for uh, listeners who don't know, I guess it's it's a playground that has been designed for kids of all abilities. So there's lots of different play structures and equipments that are that are accommodating to everybody. And it also incorporates a lot of like sound effects and stuff.
1: Yeah, they've got a what's called the magical harp and uh, you basically can run back and forth on it and uh, or wave your hands around and it'll play different sound uh, notes based off of where it's sensing your movement so that's kind of cool. And then they'll have this um, this tool when when uh, this map when when it's done. Yeah, that is really cool. That reminds me
0: of a, a swing set that was in downtown San Jose for a while. Um, it might still be there, but I feel like it was temporary. Kind of by the Cautical Statue, but it was. It was basically a swing set where each each swing kind of produced a different note as you were swinging on it. So you could, with a couple of your friends, you know, make something musical happen. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering about how how this is going to be powered because there's there's a electrical source, right? You need a power supply. Is it going up like through the concrete? Did they have to drill down there or is it going to be solar powered?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. They've got, they've got a power source underneath the whole, um, it's, it's, it's elevated. The whole thing's concrete and there's like a bunch of, um, all the play structures basically are on top of like a concrete slab. And anyway, there's power underneath.
0: Nice. That's cool. Cause, um, yeah, I think a lot of times we have these, Especially outdoors, if you have anything that involves sound or lights up, then that's a, a concern for like the longevity of the artwork is, is, yeah. um, <laughs> those are the parts that are more fragile. So knowing that it, it is going um, down through the concrete, um, that should be probably the most reliable power source you can have. So that's good to know. How, how did this get funded? That's something I'm really curious about. And how much did it cost? Or, you know, it's ongoing. So maybe maybe it'll end up costing more. Maybe you just have an estimate. But
1: we'll Yeah, we got about. a mysterious donor uh, that I don't even know the name of right before the pandemic happened. And this donor funded the whole thing. So we were looking for different funders. And I guess this person came to the Magical Bridge and said, can I fund the project? And they said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a... Very serendipitous. Yeah, that's really cool. You got a, uh, I
0: like the, the mysterious benefactor.
1: Yeah, I don't even know who it is.
0: <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, interesting. I, I like that mystery. So maybe maybe we'll find out someday, but for now, you know. Yeah,
1: very, very low profile.
0: Yeah, well, if that mysterious benefactor is listening, and I think the Mountain View Magical Bridge project that is underway is still accepting donations. If that turns out to be the case, I'll I'll put a link up for people to donate to that.
1: Yeah, and and if um, they want to uh, sponsor any of the other magical maps, because Magical Bridge is not just in Palo Alto. They've got one coming in a ton of different cities. So they're opening one in Redwood City. They're opening Mm -hmm. one in Sunnyvale. They've got another one in Morgan Hill. They're taking over the Bay Area. And I think they also have some outside of the Bay Area as well. I believe even some outside the country. Uh, So yeah, they're, they're really going um, places and there's a lot of these magical bridge playgrounds and each one of them needs a map. So Mm. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it kind of creates a positive feedback loop, right? When maybe, maybe funding the first one was really difficult and took a long time, but once people see it and they see um, how well it works for everyone, then, you know that is more likely to donate to the next project uh, yeah. in the area. That that's what it seems to be for me. It kind of has the potential to really take off here. Um, it's so well executed. I don't know. It can, just compared to a standard city playground, it it really is magical. Like the name, it, it deserves that name. You know, it's not exaggeration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll have to um, check out your progress and uh, put an update up once that's all finished and once I go touch it and experience it in person. Cause that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. It'll be very interesting.
0: I was wondering if you have any tips on like how to make art more accessible for everyone, just for your, for your well, artist or for your city official or anyone out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, for artists in particular, it's something to think about when you're creating the art, especially if, it, if you're, you haven't really done this before and you typically do visual arts is there some way or some feeling that you can convey using another sensory modality? So, you know, what, what's that point of the art piece? What are you trying, what's the message that you're trying to convey and is there, you know, a sound either through nature or a song or can you make a soundscape of these different, uh, the different sounds, uh, that, that you, uh, can convey the feeling that you're trying to convey with the art piece. And so it's kind of almost another art piece in and of itself, but it's, if you combine it with that, that, that art piece, uh, the visual art piece, then you get, you know, double the, um, the, uh, the, you know, you can, you can explore it in, in two different ways. And if you then Add in some sort of haptic uh, or tactile object uh, or sculpture or some sort of 3D model or you know clay model or something that can also be a representation of that that feeling. Then you you have it in three modalities and, and I really appreciate these multimodal. I call them you know cross sensory. So you can get the information, the same information, get the same point, get the same meaning and. And understanding through three modalities or two modalities independent of one another. So if you're blind, then you can use either the tactile or auditory modality. If you're deafblind, then you can use the tactile modality. If you're blind and, and have diabetes and can't feel with your fingers, then you can use the auditory modality. So there's... People with all different types of bodies, all different types of abilities, all different kinds of diversity, and making art that's cross-sensory can allow you to reach a whole lot more people than just the visual art. That makes a lot of sense, and I love to hear it, because
0: I think this is not talked about a whole lot in the art community, or or as much as it should be, right? So I'm I'm on the Visual Arts Committee for the City of Mountain View. And you can see even in the name of that, that it's like focusing just on one sense, basically. Yeah. And And we we tried...
1: Oh, go ahead. Oh, there's five senses. And um, (laughs) I mean, art for smell and taste is also something that's really interesting. And although it doesn't really lend itself to this type of installation, like what we're doing at the Magical Bridge playground, but... It definitely can be if if you're doing like like a gallery or you know some sort of exhibition that's going to be one time kind of thing, you could you can have food and and different flavors that people try and different smells that people you know smell. And so you can really do a full five senses experience and those can be really, really, really powerful. I mean, just go think about restaurants that you've been to. Those are very multisensory, you know five senses. Yeah, I mean, because people uh, actually, <laughs> it's very funny to a blind person that people actually like their food to look good.
0: <laughs> um, yeah.
1: So I make some really disgusting looking food, according to my wife. <laughs> and I think it's like really good tasting. But yeah, uh, you know, she doesn't. <laughs> think
0: that Same here. All, all I care about is the taste. So I make food, I, I cook at home, um, and yes, it doesn't always look pretty, but that's that's not what matters to me. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If you go to a, a fancy restaurant, or even if you just, some people are just kind of picky and they're like, oh, it doesn't look good. I was like, well, taste it. Why don't you taste it first and tell me what you think then.
1: Yeah, yeah. What is it? Beans, cheese, and rice. I like to mix them all together. And she's like, no, like I don't <laughs> like that. The look is just... Gross and yeah, anyway, she likes it. So, beans are on one side, rice is on the other, and the cheese is in the
0: place. <laughs> it's like you need one of those little cafeteria dishes with the separate exactly. compartment. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a fan of just throwing it all in one pot and have less dishes. <laughs> I, I guess this is, I just want to explore the concept of like the, the curb cut effect. And if you're familiar with that, um, yeah absolutely think it's sad that describing it, you could probably do a better job than me describing it, but if you want, I could do it
1: No, yeah, I can totally do it so back in the eighties uh, late seventies, early eighties, a group from Berkeley, California really they they were a bunch of uh, I think there was a one or a group of wheelchair users, mm-hmm. and they were really frustrated at the Mm -hmm. city because they couldn't go downtown and, and do things because every time there was a curb, they needed somebody to lift them down the curb and they could go to a driveway and then wheel from the driveway to the crosswalk. But that's super dangerous because you're literally riding along the road. And so these wheelchair, Users became very frustrated, and they actually some some. I think there were a few times when they actually went out with sledgehammers in the middle of the night and just like built this. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, they they, uh, they they cracked the um, the sidewalk and made a ramp down. Yeah, and then they they eventually went to the the city council, and they all they they like filled the whole chamber full of people in wheelchairs. And uh, asked, uh, you know, can you please um, make curb cuts, and uh, so that we can live our lives independently? Mm. And you know, what could the city council do? <laughs> because they were, you know, yeah, the, 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 no, you know, what's the? You got to admire part? the initiative. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that was the first part. So uh, and they ended up putting a whole bunch of curb cuts in, and these are what you see when you're crossing the street at pretty much every single crosswalk nowadays. Mm -hmm. And if you ask people, why do you think that curb cut is there? They're going to say, oh, it's for bicycles or it's for Mm -hmm. suitcases or it's for stroller. And no, it's not for those. It was actually for wheelchairs. But yes, you can totally use that curb cut for all those different activities. And that is the curb cut effect. If yep. you make something more accessible for one group of people, it's going to be more accessible for a whole bunch of people. And this actually happens in all different types of assistive technology. So for example, if anybody has ever heard of these things called personal assistance, those mm-hmm. were built for people with disabilities originally speech to text has been around since the eighties. And so you can you could talk to your computer back in the 80s and it would do things like what Alexa does now. But, uh, you know, it wasn't until it, the, the speech-to-text capability got to a certain level and it got mainstream, um, I guess. Uh, Amazon got into it and, and uh, Microsoft got into trying to make these personal assistants that uh, it became out of the assistive technology realm. But, you know, we still have all these different technologies that, are in assistive technology that, that um, mm-hmm. should be broken out. And right now, multi-sensory art is kind of part of that crowd, unfortunately. So let's make it mainstream.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, I have a Google assistant at home. I use that to, you know, check the weather, turn the lights on and off, stuff like that. I ride my bike everywhere I go. I use those curb cuts a lot. You know, they weren't originally designed for me, but I definitely benefit at work, yeah. a, a lot of times I press that handicap button to open the door. If my, I'm pushing a cart full of books or something, uh, I work at the library, so yeah. So all these all these technologies originally designed for um, disabled people um, end up helping everybody.
1: So yeah, so, think, so many of them. You can go on forever. I mean, yeah, subtitles. I watch. Texting, I have like to watch with subtitles. Yeah, texting <laughs> was also. Um, it was built by a deaf. Uh, i It was built by a man who wanted to communicate with his wife of his deaf wife. Yeah, and, and I prefer
0: that over the phone. I would rather text, so... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, glasses are probably the most ubiquitous assistive technology. They're they're, um, they're not necessarily thought of as assistive technology because there's so so many of them, but they are assistive technology.
0: Hey, so do you think there's a curb cut effect that might apply to
1: artwork? Oh, oh. absolutely, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's some art galleries that I've been to in the Netherlands, like the Van Gogh museum, or depending where you live, the Van Gogh um, museum. And they have a multi-sensory experience exhibit there. And it's always extremely busy. You have to, uh, at least when we were there a couple of years ago, it was, you, you had to wait in line for it. And I mean, how many art pieces do you have to wait in line for? And, mm. you know, Maybe the Mona Lisa. I've never been there um, to the, the the Louvre, but, you know, this is uh, definitely not for the original art piece of, um, what was it? The Sunflowers, mm-hmm. uh, Van Gogh Sunflower Painting. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I think anyway. I've seen
0: an ad for this exhibit and it looks fantastic. They've yeah, projected it's, it's on the walls cool. everywhere. It's like you're in the painting.
1: Yeah, so the, you can go in into the painting, and and you know you can actually touch the walls, and you can feel kind of the the, the flower petals and stuff on 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 the walls. Then they've also got different smells, um, like you can s- squeeze these little bulbs, and then they've got a, a music that's playing that um, that is supposed to be representative of the sunflowers growing and 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 uh, you know spreading their Petals out to the sun, and then I believe there's some more. I can't remember. I think there's definitely some more pieces to it, um, but I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But anyway, it's it's like this full experience that you go through, and it's 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 quite amazing. And people spend a lot of time there. We at the Art Gallery of Ontario, they they've done some some research and and found that people spend like five minutes at Mm -hmm. a multi-sensory art piece whereas the single sensory art piece is under 20 seconds or something like that it's like 16 Mm -hmm. seconds so that makes a sense you got if you really want people to look at your art experience it make it multi-sensory because that's going to be the best way of making art that you know people will actually want to appreciate so
0: (laughs) there's a lot there um but that that sounds like an awesome exhibit and I, I, when I saw that ad originally for Van Gogh, um, it didn't occur to me that it might be one of the few exhibits out there for, um, you know, people with low vision or or whatever it is um, to go experience because I could see it being a pretty bad experience if you go to a gallery or something where it's just like only 2D paintings and they're like, don't touch the artwork.
1: Pretty sure you know, that's most art galleries, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds like why would
0: you go if you yeah. can't? <laughs> so, uh, I, when I saw that the ad for the Van Gogh exhibit, I was like, wow, I want to be there. And then um, now that I'm talking to you, I'm can, able to see how cool it is for for people who don't get to experience art nearly as much as I do.
1: Now, what'd be really cool is if there was more than just one or two pieces that you could you know, experience. In Italy, sometimes I went to museums in Florence and they often uh, will allow a blind person specifically to touch some of those sculptures. And uh, that's pretty, I mean, the sculpture yeah. itself, like it said, to appreciate, you know, something like a sculpture, you have to really have touched a lot of them and understand like what makes it spectacular. Mm-hmm. But the idea of touching like these sculptures that are, Older than the United States, or you know, yeah. a thousand years old is just like that's that's just chill, chilling. Like you know, anyway. But um, <laughs> so you know, that's that's probably um the most interesting thing about you know touching sculptures for me. But I really love the what they did with the Van Gogh because that's really you get to understand the point of of what the the person was trying to to convey. And you know, I listen to a lot more uh, music and. And touch a lot more, you know, 3D objects than I do necessarily sculptures because mm-hmm. um, I just, I don't touch sculptures that often. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, I can see how, especially if it's a big sculpture, right? Or an
0: yeah. uh, unfamiliar artist, like you kind of would have to take a while to get a feel for like even the style of it. Because some people are going to do a very realistic sculpture. Or some people are going to be like have their own unique take on the human form or it's completely abstract or whatever.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so for uh, in Florence, for example, for David, the statue of David, they do allow blind people to touch it, but you can only touch mm. like the toe because <laughs> very, very big. It's a humongous. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. Huge, huge statue, wow. and so. What they do is they have a 3D model that they sell in the different size 3D models that they sell in the store, the gift shop. And I actually like the gift shops of art galleries a lot more than I actually like the gallery itself. Because mm-hmm. they will have these 3D models of the art pieces or they'll have, you know, nice little interesting things in the art in the in the uh, gift shop that um, they're also art in and of itself or really interesting designs or you know, really unique items there and that's um, that's more interesting to me than than the art because i can touch everything and yeah it's it, it's it's there and, and yeah. i can experience it so yeah
0: that that's one thing i really like about um, what you're working on with the magical bridge play, playground actually is that it's like a little mini representation it's like a bird's eye view and um you don't have to run around the whole park right to experience it so if you have like mobility issues or you're I don't know, you're in a hurry or, or whatever it is. You can just get it all at once in that in that one spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So the, the visual arts committee um, for Mountain View, one time we did try to have kind of a more accessible exhibit that was recommended by the director of the Center for Performing Arts. We, we have like a rotating gallery display there. So we put out the call for artists and we said, give us some accessible artwork. And then we got, basically the same kinds of submissions as usual. And it ended up not really working out. So at first I thought the problem with the call and the reason it didn't work was just that this pays a low stipend and it's, we're not asking people to make original artwork, right? It's just stuff that they already have. And I would, first theory was, you know, maybe most people just don't have a lot of accessible artwork around. And if we had paid more and we had commissioned something, then we could, you know, I think that would definitely work if we had 10, $20,000, whatever, um, for inside a community center or a park or something. I think artists would definitely give us what we ask for, but having considered it a little more, I think it might've been it, instead of, you know, spending all that money, it might've been as simple as just saying, Hey, give us like your textured paintings, anything heavy. And if it's okay, you know, let, let the people touch them. If you're okay with that, then, uh. That's that's like a really quick and easy way, I think, to make your artwork multisensory, and that's how I paint. I haven't painted in a while, but I used to do abstract. I like heavy texture on there. Um, I like to feel it, I like other people to feel it. One of my old art teachers, Al um, Preciado, he was always cool with people touching his sculptures or paintings at, you know, the gallery, the street fair, whatever. So I think that that's one way for people um, just to like immediately jump into it and make their stuff more accessible.
1: Yeah, um I'm not a big fan of touching, you know, just just canvas mm-hmm. because I don't it, it's hard for me to kind of connect with it, but um definitely for somebody who's low vision it would it would be a lot more meaningful to them. But yeah, it's that that definitely is is a way to to easily create a multisensory art piece. Another way is is, you know, to to find I don't know how it works, but maybe uh you know, use like a song or or some sort of soundtrack to to what your art piece is trying to convey that could also be another way of doing that or or uh you know maybe do what uh the art Gallery of ontario did and go to a group of people and ask for um them to like a a group of students and ask them to make a multi-sensory art piece but Mm -hmm. yeah that would be that'd be an interesting way to do it now there is going on right now in palo alto Palo Alto Art Center is putting on a art of disability culture. And I think there's a bunch of disabled artists that are presenting their work. And I surely sincerely hope that they have some blind artists, but I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, Neely actually sent it to me. So, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, yeah, so they're, they're going on right now and, and I know there's been a bunch of interesting stuff going on for, for blind people. So blind people are going to this art um, piece, so this art exhibition. So I'm sure there's something that's multisensory. And if there's not, then they've got some uh, descriptions or some tour that is multisensory. So because uh, I've seen some calls for blind people to go you know, by uh, tours of blind people um, to go there. So,
0: yeah, that's really cool. Definitely if check I, it out. The link, I'll put it up for people to see. At this point in the show, Brandon sends me some files, the first of which is an image of a painting called Kurelek's Reminiscences of Youth, and he's going to ask me to describe that now.
1: Can you describe what you see in that painting?
0: Um, it looks like a bunch of smaller paintings, kind of like a collage. It's like a collection of different pictures, all... all organized together, and it looks just like slices of life, little scenes of people living in a little snowy village or something and without technology, simpler times. Okay.
1: Um, you can go ahead and click on that video, and it will play basically what we have for the auditory. So we, we got this picture, and we were asked to make an auditory version of it, and we can kind of walk through what you're hearing. So okay. you can go ahead and
0: click so on not- that. Let's find out what snowball fights and hanging out in church sounds like. That was amazing. That was, um, I actually did a really good job of capturing the painting and I started out feeling a, a little, first of all, just like amazed and I was like happy and it sounds like what it looks like. It's, it's these kids uh, having fun. There's a snowball fight. There's a playing tag or something around a barn. Then the, you can hear, um, some kind of churchy things going on. Like there's kind of like, awe that comes in or like a worshipful feeling, um, and by the end of it, I was a little sad, and I'm not you know it's kind of bittersweet,
1: yeah, so this is a really interesting painting, and we kind don't necessarily want to go into all of it, but um, it's a really complicated painting, and so and and it has some very dark overtones to it <laughs> yeah, mm. if you get- if you look into it um but yeah so there there was there's a kid um uh, whipping another kid with like a branch um <laughs> I don't think I noticed it. It's it's up on the, the haystack up there. So if you listen to the, the audio again, you'll hear that um, kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kid who's kind of dejected and going towards the church um, all alone. And so you can hear the footsteps of that child walking on the right mm-hmm. side uh, off to the church. And then there's an airplane actually going along the top left. And there's an airplane that flies across. Um, and uh what else is there oh the the background music there's um actually some music in the front of it on the stand i believe and so we we actually had the sound of that that song we found that specific song and that's kind of playing in the background lightly Mm -hmm. so this was kind of a really in-depth kind of experience and um we actually added a whole bunch of if you can find some um People who can who can do electrical, well, actually, not even that. Just like 3D modeling, mm-hmm. then what we what we did was had a make it a 3D model of this scene, and then attach these sounds to the object. So when you would touch the object, it would it would kind of lower all the sounds behind it, and and make these the sound of that specific area mm-hmm. louder than all the rest. And so, so
0: that's the same as you're doing with the Magical Bridge.
1: Exactly. And right. so this is kind of before we had the, the thing with the Magical Bridge. And so it was, it was when I was you know, trying to find what technology to use. And so come to find out, computer vision is, is definitely a really low cost of entry technology. So you can just install this on an iPhone or iPad and then point it at what any object, and you can label any object, and, and it's, it's really cool. Anyway, uh, otherwise, you need to install a capacitive sensors or do some sort of, you know, electrical engineering to uh, wire it up. Uh, so that's what we actually did originally, was we wired up some capacitive sensors on the, in, in different areas. But that's very hard because you don't actually know where to touch on the on the creature mm. or on the scene. So anyway, so that's why you went with the cameras for the the. The magic bridge, yeah. version. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's that's cool to know that that's where this uh, project kind of started. And um, now I have a little bit of like a preview of a sense of what, what it'll be like to experience that later. I think yeah, it works so, out really great.
1: Yeah, so this is a this is a curlic piece. Um, so what we did was we looked at different art pieces that were in the art gallery of Ontario and and so let's make this multi-sensory. And so um, this was a group of students, or I think there's four or five of us. And um, we each took a little piece of it. And mine was a sound. So <laughs> that was kind of my area. And and then so that's that's what we did. We, we kind of put this all together and, and created this this art piece that we then, they still have it at, at the museum, I believe. And so they can go there and experience these things, these these art pieces. And they do that every year so. Uh, it's a really nice way for them to get uh, a whole bunch of their art pieces made multisensory. That's awesome. If I ever go to Canada, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, Toronto. It's great. Nice.
0: So I want to move on to our segment called
1: One Art, Please.
0: And if you could just tell me, what is your favorite piece of art that you have purchased and why?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. I've purchased, there's an artist in San Jose named Hallie Goodlett, and she makes these tactile art pieces uh, that are really a lot of textures to them. And so I've purchased a couple of those art pieces, and um, they're really interesting. They have all different, um, she'll put insane amounts of adhesive and coating on it to keep it from being destroyed when you touch it, and so uh, she'll put um, like shells and potpourri and beads mm-hmm. and all rocks and stones and all these different. things. Can you smell things. the potpourri? No, you can't. It's covered in so okay. much, you know, okay. stuff, so that it doesn't uh, probably
0: like a like acrylic clear coat or something or a sealer.
1: Yeah, like a super thick coating of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but it's very it's very sturdy, so you can really. <laughs> You can go to town. I mean, I wouldn't like you know, yeah. bang on it, but um, yeah. you know, you can definitely. You don't need to be incredibly gentle like you would if you're touching mm-hmm. a thousand year old, uh, you know, sculpture. Um, yep. So it's it's very. You don't need gloves to touch these or anything. Um, they're very nice art pieces. So, you know, if you ever get a chance to to take a look at, at her pieces, are amazing, uh, and you can you can definitely feel them, and uh, and they're they're that's what they're meant for. They're pretty much the only art that I've ever bought. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Shout out to Haley Goodlett for doing good work there. So um, thanks for participating in
1: one art, please.
0: And you won the knowledge of knowing that you are a patron of the arts. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So I want to start to wrap this up a little bit and just kind of review, I guess, some of the, the, Suggestions we have for listeners and tips about, you know, making cross-sensory art and making art more accessible. So what I've got is you have used um, visual, um, audio, and tactile senses in your physical artwork. And then online, you've got the audio and visual experience for people to experience. Artists should think about conveying their feelings or message through more than one sense through sound, through touch. Try to think about getting that across in, in multiple modes for artists and for curators. I would suggest if you're okay with this, especially if you're working with with acrylic, which is very durable now. Uh, you can encourage people to touch your art, give it some texture. That that's one way you can increase accessibility. So, if you're a gallery owner, maybe you could talk to your artists and say, "Hey, are you okay with people coming in and touching this work?" If you're an artist. tell tell the people displaying your art yes they can touch my work it's fine Uh, if you're painting with oil you know there's stuff you can stir into it you can mix into there that will make it dry faster so it doesn't take 10 years to dry you can bake it in the oven there's ways to make it more touchable and and less fragile and if you're a sculptor you should try to miniaturize it you make a little 3d printed model something like that um i think first of all people are gonna like to buy that but they're also gonna like to touch that do you have anything else to add
1: yeah, there's this new technology called NFTs and you can make an NFT of a cross sensory art piece uh that you can then sell digitally. So if if you make like a, a an audio recording, you know, you can sell NFTs of those and you can also sell NFTs of, you know, your visual art pieces and you can sell the 3D models of your tactile art pieces.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's been um a lot of news about that lately. Yeah, if people haven't heard, NFTs are taking off. They're some of them have sold for a lot of money through, like, you know, reputable galleries,
1: like um, Christie's.
0: Yep, yep, they're making a killing out there. So, yeah, it could be. I, I mean, I think digital art has always been a great way for for artists to get their work out there, but now it's starting to become easier and. and to profit off of it i think before it was really hard and it still it still can be to a certain extent but it's getting easier especially if, if you have it as an nft then you know it's not something people can just um, copy a thousand times and share online and and you don't get any credit for it right if, when it changes hands they'll always know who created it you're always going to get the credit and I, I believe some of the platforms they have this really cool feature where they pay the artist a commission each time it's sold. So for the lifetime of the piece, you get a percentage every time it's bought and sold. And some people are trading these like commodities. So you could end up making money, you know, again and again and again off of a single artwork if you sell it as an NFT through one of these platforms.
1: Yeah, it's a really, really awesome, uh, really awesome. Um, what do you call it? Uh, platform uh, and 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 an opportunity for for artists and. Uh, I don't think there are very many multi-sensory pieces yet, so be be the first, please.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if there's more more pieces like what you showed me where I got to to view the artwork and then listen to it, that's a really cool combo. So let's hope let's hope to see more of that. So yeah, thank you so much for um for coming on. Thanks for your time, for talking to me. This has been a really cool conversation. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Yeah. Do you want to like Plug yourself you want to give me your your socials or some websites I should tell people to go to or anything like that.
1: Um at the moment uh I don't have any socials that people can go I mean you can find me on LinkedIn I guess. Um okay. find me on LinkedIn and if you're interested in uh cross sensory art as uh, our cross sensory maps uh then you can contact me through uh um uh, my website uh which is xrnavigation.io xr navigation.io. All right. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you.
0: That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening. I want to thank Maggie So for making the beautiful cover art for Get Art Done. Please email me your public art questions at getartdonepod at gmail.com or contact me there if you're involved in the public art world and want to be a guest or have a friend you want to introduce to me that might be a good fit for the show. That email again is getartdonepod at gmail.com. Please subscribe for future episodes and review the show if you want to hear more episodes. Those reviews really mean a lot to me and help appease the algorithms. Until next time, I've been Jesse A. Cup, and you've been amazing for joining me.